and very quickly San Francisco went from this super fun energetic place to a wasteland right like people just left everyone left I remember Soma where you know the warehouses were more expensive per square foot than Wall Street office space suddenly became 50% vacant overnight right so it became deserted like we, you went from not being able to find parking to parking everywhere hello first-time founders my name is Stacy and I'm Maria and we are the hosts of the Dear First-Time Founders podcast. Through the conversations with our incredible founders, we will talk about their journey of navigating the two F-words in Silicon Valley, fear and failure. Well, hello there. I'm your host, Maria Sipka, and welcome back to Dear First-Time Founders podcast. Today, we're excited to welcome Marco Gogenta, who is currently the founder of PlusPlus.co a platform that enables sharing of tribal knowledge at scale within an organization. So Marco, here's what I loved learning about you. You've founded three companies. You've delivered a TED talk around how success is a trap. You've published a book around learning Android. You've sat on the board of the entrepreneur organization, built Twitter University, and somewhere along the path, your life took a massive turn where you crashed your Ducati on the I-280, miraculously escaping with a few stitches, and then a few weeks later, the the Twin Towers came crashing down. Many twists and turns and countless reflection points throughout your journey, which we're going to dig into a little bit more today. So on that note, I would love us to start out by briefly getting to know you. Tell us more about Marco. I think think you've captured quite a few moments that's uh impressive so um i grew up in um i don't know how far you want to go back but um i was born in germany grew up in serbia and uh that at that time a communist country <clears throat> and then the, the the war started uh the, the balkan wars in the in the 90s and i was about to become um, draftable uh and so my family decided to immigrate we figured it's not our war so we uh, we immigrated to Canada, moved there. It was one of the most exciting and most terrifying moments, such as you know being a teenager in totally a brand new world where I barely speak the language, and I went from knowing everyone and have friends to knowing nobody and barely being able to you know uh, cruise through school, and then. Um, Ended up going to university, dropping out of high school to go to university and then dropping out of university to move to California to start my first startup at the age of 19. And, uh, that I, you know, kind of like did this and crashed during the dot com bust. So yeah. So a lot of dropping out to do something, something else. I guess it, that's, that's one pattern in my early twenties. What led to your decision of dropping out of college to start your first company? You were 19. And so just really walk back into that moment and what, what, what was going on for you? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? That moment where you said, okay, I'm, I'm dropping out. I'm getting on a plane and I'm going to Silicon Valley. So, so Mosaic just showed up, right? This is the world, uh, worldwide web you know, 0.9 version, right? So we just went from the mosaic to Netscape. The, the, this internet thing was starting to become 
a thing, right? Like once you can see a billboard on the back of a bus, you're like, okay, well, there's it, this is no longer just for geeks. And and I was at Waterloo in Canada, which is sort of like the MIT of Canada. So I was surrounded by geeks and like the world was our oyster and suddenly the internet is becoming maturing and and I saw so much potential in that, right? Like the following year, Google uh, was created and was on the cover of of uh, the Wired magazine and so forth. So just to kind of give you an idea how early this was, like Yahoo was still a thing that was sort of exploding at the time. And so I saw this world of a ton of opportunities. And then you're asking what got me on the plane. Well, I also remember a February in Toronto. I was downtown at this cafe uh, off of Young Street. And I had one of, one of the early Motorola brick phones. And I remember my buddy calling me out from San Francisco. He's a Canadian who just moved to San Francisco. And, uh, and I went outside to take the call. And I was standing in like a foot of snow. And it was like freezing. And on the other side, I was like, hey, you know, this is Andre calling from San Francisco. Do you want to you come join me in my startup? And like, let's do something together. And I was like, Hell yeah. <laughs> so, 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 uh, standing in the snow in a Canadian winter, that, that sounded like the right thing to do. Plus everything that was happening with the dot com boom at the time. So it was, uh, basically the late nineties that I went to, to California first and did a couple of small stunts and then started Dacosoft, uh, with, with a friend, another Canadian friend. That's great. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they say that you either move for love, money, or adventure, but you can also move for the weather, <laughs> which we've heard many times in yeah. California. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. I kept telling everyone, everyone kept asking me in California, why did I move here? Thinking that it was for a company or a job or opportunity. And I was like, no, it was for, for, for weather. I love Canada, but it's kind of cold. So let's talk about your first startup. It uh, it bombed, is that yeah. right? And yeah. so, so how did your view of the world change? Uh, what what motivated you to get back up? Um, so it was really interesting, and not many people remember the dot com boom in California, right? Especially San Francisco. San Francisco is um, highly lopsided toward technology companies, startups, and. In the late 90s were a bonanza. It was basically, it was literally money in the air. There was a, on, a, on a regular, say, Tuesday or Wednesday, there would be a competing startup parties where somebody just raised a couple of million bucks and it's, you know, spending ridiculous money on a party with like free sushi and Mick Jagger in the back playing, right? Like there was that sort of craziness, even crazier than it is uh, now, back then. And so... It was just like mind blowing for me in my, my, my early twenties. Uh, or like, you know, it was, I think it was like still underage at the time. And then what happened was, uh, everything just exploded. Right? Dot com bust happened and very quickly San Francisco went from this super fun, energetic place to a wasteland, right? Like people just left. Everyone left. I remember Soma where, you know, the warehouses were more expensive per square foot than Wall Street office space suddenly became 50% vacant overnight, right? So it became deserted. Like we, you went from not being able to find parking to parking everywhere. So a few of us stayed. 
And it was sort of like we felt that we just belong in San Francisco, that there's something uh, magical, mystical coming out of the earth or something that, that uh, just attracts us to stay there. So, so I decided to stay. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a rational decision. It wasn't a money decision. I, I was barely scraping by, you know, living on credit cards and mac and cheese. But I just kind of felt that I needed to be there because it was the most fun place on, on earth at the time. How did your, how did your view of the world change having experienced that? Started something, being at the center of the party, and then it all just disappears. How did that really change your view of the world? I mean, it was, it was, it was scary, but it was also this opportunity, right? Like, it was like, how much do we really need, right? Like, we, we can, we can scrape by. And, uh, I, I felt I had my community there. And, and I sort of like, I felt, I sort of, uh, had a, had experienced the freedom of chasing my own dreams, right? And so once, once I kind of had that, it was like, I don't, I don't need to go back to Canada to get a job. Like, I'll just rather stay here and figure something out. So the, the, the world was my oyster, even though there was no jobs, right? <laughs> so, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I got there. And what, what did you learn from building that first business? Uh, so, you know, at one, I had this visual at one point about, you know, an airplane, you, to, to fly an airplane, you need possibility and, and you also need the reality, right? So possibility is what pulls you forward and reality is what kind of grounds you. And I had a lot of possibility. Uh, uh, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to build this company where in next year we'll be gazillionaires and we'll be sipping those little drinks with umbrellas uh, in our yachts in the Caribbean. So that's kind of how I was thinking, like, this is too easy and just going to uh, embrace the suck for the time being. And really quickly, it's going to become, life is going to become a beach, right? So that's, that's, that was my, my vision. I had a lot of possibility, but not grounded in reality. So that, that was the lack of groundness uh, was uh, what I experienced. So. so how does a founder actually balance the two? We're endless optimists. How do you learn to be realistic and have a bit of both? It's tough. I, I, I don't. I, I think it's a balancing act. I just. I, I keep I keep juggling over time. It's very. It, it's 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 kind of like very psychological, deeply rooted in in me, right? Because after that, uh, I just wanted some some traction, some success, some sense of worth, right? And so that's why I started the services company. And because I was like, yeah, I'll, uh, even though Web 2.0 started reappearing uh, and, you know, new kids started building awesome new businesses, I was like, ah, I just want, uh, I'm, uh, this time around, I want something that's safe, something that's secure, something that's going to give me some traction. So I I went, I over-indexed on, on safety and predictability and groundedness, if, you know, one way to kind of think about that. So I went from one extreme to the other extreme, um, and yeah. So in your TED talk, you talk about your decision to creating a services-based company versus a product-based company, especially being in Silicon Valley. Tell us about the nuances or the differences between the two. Like, what what are the pros and cons? 
Yeah, so I mean, the the, service, the, the way I, say, I sort of saw it is product company. It's a, a higher risk, higher reward sort of equation, right? So if it does well, it's it's scalable and becomes it becomes a it can become a huge success. Services company, on the other hand, the reward is lower, but the risk is also lower, right? So at that time, I was sort of beaten up. Didn't have much. Didn't have much uh, confidence either. And I just wanted something that's going to get some traction, that's going to allow me to start building back up. So that was, that's why, uh, that's why I sort of went down that path. But really, like I remember meeting one of the mentors at the time and he told me something around, along the lines of like, get small wins. And I was like, okay, get small wins. So I was like, okay, a project after a project after a project. So we started like getting the small wins. And to me, that was through services. So. I believe it's with that company that you were approached by Twitter for an acquisition. So what what did you learn from this experience that founders should consider when an acquirer comes knocking on the door? As as an entrepreneur, I think every entrepreneur's dream is sort of like, oh, one day, you know, we'll sell it to, you know, Google, Facebook, whatever, and live happily ever after, right? And, And so, of course... I was sort of flattered that that Twitter approached us and said, "Hey, you know, would you like we would like we're, we would like to you know discuss an acquisition?" And it was like this moment, like, "Wow, that's awesome!" But then once you start sort of unpacking that, it was like I, I remember Warren Buffett's uh, saying uh, what, what he says when he buys companies. He usually says to the to the buying party, "You're not getting any wealth here. You're just exchanging." an asset that you know everything about and fully control for another asset you know very little about and don't control, right? And that became really vivid for me. I was, at the time, you know, my, our company was doing well. I was taking home, you know, significant income, being my own boss, having all the freedom in the world. And I was going to give all that up for being CEO minus, you know, four or five position at Twitter and getting a bag of stock that was private that I couldn't do anything with and they could take it away as well. And I was like, wow, this makes no sense, right? Like, why do people even do this, right? Because my previous vision of an acquisition was that they were going to give me a bag of cash and say, see ya, have a good life. And that's not how it works. <laughs> so uh, so it was just, uh, yeah, I was a little bit naive about that. So. That's right. <laughs> you, you, you talk about this notion of arriving and sitting on a beach with a fancy cocktail and an umbrella hanging out of it. Everybody has some kind of a vision of what it means to arrive. So for you, what what did that what did arriving look like? What did it feel like? And is there a downside to actually getting to that point of arriving? Yeah, and, and it changes, right? So in my early 20s, it was about, I thought it was about money uh, because I, you know, I grew up poor and all that. Um, and then when I kind of got humbled through the dot-com crash, uh, my, my dream was freedom. It wasn't about money, but it was about freedom. And, and I define freedom as, as in I can choose what to put my time and energy towards. So in other words, I don't need to work, exchange a unit of time for a unit of money, right? Like, so financial freedom, if you will, right? And so, so that was, that, that's kind of how I defined it. And I even had numbers like, you know, 
what do I need monthly to live comfortably and like how do I get to that so that it's passively uh, there all the time uh, and so that's how I defined it uh, through my you know 20s and 30s through the through the Twitter acquisition and then after Twitter uh, I was like what do I want next right like what's what's inspiring and, and, and it became about purpose it became about like leaving a mark um, making an impact something that that is a self-expression of what I deeply care about so so arriving changes that's that my, I guess my point is you, you arrive and you get to smell the roses but then you kind of gotta move on because otherwise it's boring uh, and boredom is a real thing right so yeah. So your view of success really shifted over time and it what we're hearing is is that as a founder you're very aware you're very aware of your environment of what you're feeling to what extent did the books that you read or the people that you met had an influence as to the questions that you asked yourself along the journey that would then change the trajectory of your life. So really trying to understand the combination of that state of awareness and the influences that were there. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh one would argue that the the that 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 is like probably the most the people in your life are probably the most important thing in in terms of in terms of shaping you. Yeah, and I definitely did read a lot, a lot of books early on. And it was usually about like self-development or or biographies of people who inspired me, um, like scientists and uh, inventors, people like that. And lately, it's been mostly around mentors and having the right people in my corner, what I call in my corner. That's something that uh, I, I did not, I craved for, but I did not have through my 20s and 30s. Um, so there was no like figure that I could like tap on the shoulder and ask questions. And And lately, that's been... That's been very present in my life and I'm super grateful yeah, for that. So when you think about the community that you've built and the mentors that you now connect with and just the peer, the support peer group, what is it that first-time founders can learn about how they even begin to uh, seek out those peers and what, what should they be looking for and where do they find them and how do they actually engage with these communities? So I, I stumbled upon entrepreneurs organization, right, with, with my previous company. And so I stumbled upon that and I, and I was blown away. Uh, I was like, wow, I found my tribe. That was kind of the experience. Uh, because before that, it was sort of ad hoc, like, you know, a buddy who's doing something or another buddy that's doing something. And this was sort of like, okay, well, this is intentional. This is a group of, you know, people who are all up to building businesses. And so that was, that was a, that was my first sort of insight. And then I was in that group for probably 15 plus years and I'm still part of a forum. So, you know, some of my forum mates, we go back a very long time and we meet every month and so forth. So that's my peer community that, that, and, and it's intentional. So unlike, 
you may you may have friends like that where you occasionally meet over drinks or you know coffee. This is very intentional, and we have a way we meet and discuss and compare notes. And it's it's very much 360. So it's not about business, but it's about personal, family, life, everything combined. So so that's a kind of like a peer group. And then and then I started seeking uh, mentors. So not people who are my peers, but people who have walked the path that I would like to walk. Right. And so I I got. Um, I got that through, I'm part of this uh, gathering of titans uh, at MIT group that's also sort of emerged through entrepreneurs organization. So so I got met some mentors through that. I also uh, met some amazing advisors through uh, Stanford Stodics, so an accelerator at Stanford. Uh, so those organizations are very helpful in those pairings. So, And how do you go about approaching a potential mentor that would have that individual give up their time and invest into the relationship? What's really worked for you? Yeah, you know, one thing I realized is that it's it's really, they, they, they get a lot out of it as well. So uh, it's it's not just, uh, it's, it's not one-sided at all. They learn uh, a lot. Uh, that was my experience with all my mentors uh, in the past. So, and, and that's something that I also kind of embrace in, you know, as I sort of look to mentor others that, that there's, there's a lot of value that goes both ways. Uh, so. Talk to us about what a deferred life plan is. Yeah. So, the, so, so when I was building, uh, my first company, Decosoft in my early, like late teens, early, you know, twenties, I remember like uh, my, my 20s, I was working my ass off. Right? I was working like 16 hour days. I was, you know, skipping out and all the things that like, you know, all the fun stuff that kids at that age will do. And and I just kind of felt like I was putting my life on hold because, and, and I sort of reasoned it. I was like, okay, I'm going to embrace the suck for the next couple of years. And then all these things are going to happen and I'll, I'll celebrate afterwards. And then, of course, dot com happened and everything kind of changed. And what I realized through that is that I was living a diff- like I came across this book, right, by uh, Randy, um, forget the last name, uh, but it was about the, the monk in the riddle, is the book. Um, and it basically talks about doing stuff so that one day you can do what you really doing stuff that sucked so that one day you can do what you really enjoy doing. And you know, the motorcycle crash, the dot-com crash, the uh, 9-11, all those events were sort of like reminding me that we, we sort of know where the point A is, but we never know what the point B is, right? And so it's, it doesn't make sense to defer what we really love to do or what we're kind of born to do and or be. And so after that, I was like, okay, well, it's nice to have a vision. We definitely need to have a vision. And then we need to live that vision purposely every day so that every day there's sort of gratitude and uh, experience of like fulfillment from being ourselves, right? As opposed to deferring so that one day uh, it happens. So that was, that was the insight that I had. Um, yeah. That's a really beautiful way to live your life, regardless of what the circumstances are and the highs and the lows. It's to see every moment as a gift. So thank you for sharing that. 
So what what are some other mindset or mind training tools or habits that have been effective for you as a founder? I mean, one thing that I embraced last few years was uh, the gratitude. So um, it's something, it's a practice I do every day, sort of like, you know, things that I'm grateful for and uh, and then reflecting at the end. Of, so morning and evening, so I use a five-minute uh, five journal app. Uh, and so that's something I picked up at MIT. A lot of other uh, people do it. So, so I embrace that. And what are you grateful for today? Today, it was about being grateful for my team, uh, being able to, uh, being grateful for uh, the work I do because it's uh, connected to my, my purpose. And it's usually something along the lines of health or like if I had an awesome, this morning I had an awesome run, so I'm grateful for being able to run. Uh, so it's the little things like that, right? Um, so, yeah. So let's fast forward to your current company, Plus Plus Pro. Mm-hmm. What motivated you to start this company? I was sort of like thinking about like, what do I want to do next, right? And by next, I meant the next decade or two, because that's how long it takes to, to, uh, to fulfill the vision. And, and it took some time to actually think this through, right? Took some time off, a, a few months. And it was, you know, people always tell you like, well, you know, do something that you, you, is your passion. And it's like, great, I'll do something that's my passion. Well, what's my passion? How do you actually know that? Right? Like, how do you know that? Like when push comes to shove and, and it took me a while sort of like just pondering that question. And, and the more I was sort of like looking into that, I sort of came up with, well, I really enjoy helping people get to the next level. Right. That's, that was sort of the purpose of our previous company. But then I also enjoy building products. I enjoy software, you know, crafting stuff. Uh, I'm sort of like, um, I'm, I'm a creator builder. Like that's one of my, my values and, and sort of Sage Sensei is another one. So, so I was sort of like looking, looking at the intersection of how do I build things so that I help people get better at what they do at scale, like at, meaning, uh, as opposed to doing it one by one, sort of what we did previously, but do it through software, do it at scale. And so I was looking at the cross-section of that and then also being able to actually bring sort of this, this uh, Japanese concept of Ikigai. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I was sort of like essentially collecting all those, creating that main diagram of, of what I'm good at, what the world needs, what I'm passionate about and what the people are willing to pay for. And And so that's kind of how I came up with, you know, I love helping people get to the next level and I want to do it at scale through software. So yeah, yeah, that's basically what Plus Plus is. It's about helping people get to the next level. So, And as a leader, how have you evolved? How would you describe your leadership style today, being your third company? <sighs> that's a tough one. You know, it's a, I would say a lot of it is being aware and being vulnerable. I'm learning a lot getting beaten up every single day uh, and it's often a very humbling experience right like I thought I was good and then I realized that there's uh, it has so many blind spots and so many things to to uh, look into and then so it's it's an ever ever changing uh, process I don't know that we it's yeah it's it's a never-ending process of evolving 
but it's it's it comes down one lesson I sort of got I guess is really looking inside first uh, it's kind of leading from within um, and sort of connecting to my own values and um, and coming from that place and understanding why I'm coming from that place so so looking in before looking out so what what do you see coming uh, to life from plus plus in the next five years? What I really wanted to do with this company was build an iconic company. And what I mean by that is that it's something that actually made a significant difference for people, right? Like it's people recognize it and, and acknowledge its impact. And so, so that's, that's, that's what we're up to. I've never done anything like that. So there's a, you know, there's, I'm sort of on this hero's journey and looking for, you know, mentors and trying to figure out how to slay the dragons along the way and uh, hopefully survive through through all that. So it's it's definitely a journey. It's it's fun, but but that's that's I would love to accomplish. So many nuggets of wisdom and experiences and stories. If you were to have one piece of advice that you would give to an aspiring first-time founder. What would it be? I mean, it's it's really understanding why they do what they do, and it's going to take longer. It needs to come from within. Like there needs to be something that's like deeply deeply rooted, because rationally, what you do makes no sense, <laughs> and it needs to be almost like I have no other choice but then to do what I do, right? So so um, yeah, embracing it and and doing it for some much deeper reasons. Um, and enjoying the ride. So, yeah. And finally, you've you're you're an avid reader. You listen to podcasts. What's something that you're listening to today, or what's a current book that you're reading that you would love to share with our listeners? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just finished True North, um, and I'm reading Leading Well from Within. So those are two leadership books. Yeah, that's yeah, those are my sort of main things right now. Marco, thank you so much for your time today, sharing the depth and breadth of an incredible life journey. We really wish you the best for plusplus.co and, and, and just continued growth and that you never arrive, that you continue to learn and, and twist and turn. That's the fun of life. So thank you. Thank you, Maria. I appreciate it. All the best. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. We'll come back with more inspirational stories Friday night, bi-weekly, wherever you find your podcast. And if you feel inspired and want to connect more with our founders, please follow us, Second Time Founders, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you, and we will see you all in the next episode.